Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The election season has been hard on my sense of humor. Precious little is making me laugh these days. There's this, though, from New Yorker writer Paul Sims' piece entitled God's Blog. Here is the creator of the universe blogging about Genesis and, of course, comments. God, pretty pleased with what I've come up with in just six days. Going to take tomorrow off. Feel free to check out what I've done so far. Suggestions and criticism, constructive, please. More than welcome. Comments. Not sure who this is for. Seems like a fix for a problem that didn't exist. Liked it better when the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. (laughs) Going carbon-based for the life form seems a tad obvious, no? The creeping things that creepeth over the earth, they're gross. unfocused. Seems like a mishmash. At best, you've got creatures that can speak but aren't smart, parrots. Then you've got creatures that are smart but can't speak, dolphins, dogs, houseflies. Then you've got man who is smart and can speak but who can't fly, breathe underwater, or unhinge his jaws to swallow large prey in one gulp. If it's supposed to be chaos, then mission accomplished, but it seems more like laziness and bad planning. And finally, not enough action. Needs more conflict. Maybe put in a whole bunch more people. Give them different skin colors so they can tell each other apart. Limit the resources and see if we can get some fights going. Oh, the comments. Incivility, precious little praise or thanksgiving, and zero empathy. I fear the end of civil discourse in America. It's all just plain ugly. I know that many of us are focused on Tuesday. Prayer is very possibly at an all-time high, enjoying new popularity among those of us who begin our prayers to whom it may concern. (laughs) And even among those who are praying to a God they don't believe in, But today, I invite you to join me in choosing to focus beyond Tuesday, something even bigger than the outcome of the election. Prayers aside, and regardless of the outcome, we have a lot of work to do to regain our balance, ground ourselves, start listening and talking with people who are very different from us, and get back to that little biblical directive to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our higher power.
God saw that it was good, not perfect, but good. We have a lot of work to do to recover from ugly and get back to good. The normally conservative New York Times columnist David Brooks has astounded me recently. Most recently in a conversation with On Being's Krista Tippett, he said this, I long for a more active religious voice in the public square. We need to become more communitarian in a society that has become too individual. We need to be more moralistic in a society that's too utilitarian. And we need to be more emotional in society that's too cognitive. And religion speaks these three languages very well. My ears perk up. Did he say an active religious voice? Did he say communitarian, moralistic, emotional, which we might translate to communitarian, ethical, and heartfelt? He did. He's talking about us. And then this from his column entitled The Death of Idealism. There is no uplift in this race. There is an assumption that we are self-seeking creatures rather than also loving, serving, hoping, dreaming, cooperating creatures. The great challenge, he says, is the crisis of our isolation and fragmentation, the need to rebind the fabric of a society torn by selfishness, cynicism, distrust, and autonomy. We are called to restore idealism. I'm hearing a directive here. David Brooks is talking about us, and he's talking to us. He tells Krista Tippett, I was in Frederick, Maryland, I don't know how many years ago, and I ran into these ladies. There were probably 30 of them, aged 50 to 80, who teach immigrants to speak English and then how to read it. And I walk into the room and they just radiate patience and goodness, Dorothy Day directness, just that calm. They just radiated light. I remember thinking I've achieved way more career success than I ever thought I would, but I don't have what they have. At some point, he concludes, there will have to be a new vocabulary and a restored anthropology, emphasizing love, friendship, faithfulness, solidarity, and neighborliness that pushes people toward connection rather than distrust. On the eve of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated as the 16th President of the United States. Seven southern states had seceded from the Union. Desperate to prevent the unspeakable carnage that was about to follow, he made this impassioned plea. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained it, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched 
as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Oh, those better angels. Can we imagine what's possible? Can we live into the root meaning of the word religion? Possibly from the Latin ligare, to bind or connect. So religare means we do it again. We rebind, we reconnect. We are bound to one another. In Dr. King's inescapable network of mutuality, Unitarian Universalism's independent web. Dr. Carl Jung said, we walk around in shoes far too small for us. Can we step into bigger shoes, take bigger steps, leave bigger footprints? I know we can. Where to begin? I say we begin with the first principle of Unitarian Universalism, a belief in the inherent worth and dignity of every being. Washington Post columnist E.J. Dion says, if I made a hat, it would say, make America empathetic again. He's not just calling out people who espouse deplorable views on disability, immigration, Islam, Judaism, race, women, everything. He's calling out each and every one of us. We need to make the first move because there are people who are so beaten down and fearful, who feel so unsafe that they cannot muster any empathy. We need, says David Brooks, humility, radical self-awareness from a position of other-centeredness and a transformative conviction in the deep equality of all human beings because each of us is broken in similar ways. Imagine the spiritual crisis among people whose religion tells them to love one another, to turn the other cheap, to love their enemy, to welcome the stranger, but who simply cannot do it. Rather than recoil in horror at falling so short, can we stand up and step in? Our Unitarian forebearer, Ralph Waldo Emerson, said, souls are not saved in bundles. It's all about the one soul before us. Can we engage those who seem so different from us? Can we just listen? Can we try to understand their side? Can we find some common ground and so begin the work of dismantling the walls between us and them? William Raspberry was rightfully proud of this letter, and I'm moved by the letter writer's willingness to read him and be open to a change of mind. He says, decades before the open warfare that now passes as political debate, I became more and more convinced that exaggerating differences was exacerbating the political division I find so dangerous in America. I was also starting to imagine that talking about issues might actually make a positive difference, might move us an inch or two toward common ground. Perhaps it was then 
that I found myself trying to write in such a way that people who didn't agree with me might at least hear me. Then I found that they were responding to me in similarly civil tones, and it felt good. Ibu Patel, founding president of Interfaith Youth Corps, tells the story of Vincent Harding, the great civil rights leader, saying to him, this business of being a multiracial, multiethnic, multireligious, democratic society, we've only been doing that for 50 years. What I loved about Vincent, Ibu Patel says, is that he would open his speeches by saying, I live in a country that does not yet exist. Not a country that no longer exists, but a country that does not yet exist. I want to close with a story, a true story, told by E.J. Dion. In D.C., he says, I have friends named Kathy and David, and they had a kid who had a friend who had no real home. His dad had split. Mom had drug and health problems. So they say to this, come on over. You know, stay, stay with us. You can live with us. Eat. Go to school. And that kid had a friend in the same circumstance. And that kid had a friend. If you go to their house, he says, and I do every Thursday and hopefully on Mondays, these days there are 10, 15, 25 kids there, 18 to 22 years old. They're getting some food. And last week a young woman came. She was 21. This was the first time she'd been around a dinner table, she said, since she was 11. And I took my daughter and she said, this is the warmest home I've ever been in. They call Kathy and David mom and dad, and there's just a warmth and embrace. What we give them, we the adults, we give them the gift of being their audience. So there's this kid named Ed who would read from his flip phone poetry he'd written. There's a woman named Kasari who would sing like a New Orleans jazz singer. And you just receive them, and they define themselves in front of you. And what they gave us was a complete intolerance for social distance. When I meet most of you, he says, I shake hands and there's a little distance because we don't really know each other. But the first time I walked into their house, I reached out my hand to one of the kids and he said, we don't shake hands here, we hug. E.J. Dion told this story in a forum with Krista Tippett and a guy named Bill Milliken was in the audience. Bill's been working with youth who are in trouble. He said, I am often asked in 50 years of doing this, what programs work to turn around lives? And he answered, I've done this for 50 years. I have never seen a program turn around a life. I've seen relationships turn around lives. And I see love turn around lives. Beloved spiritual companions, let ours be an active religious voice, communitarian, ethical, heartfelt, saying yes to the better angels of our nature. May we step into bigger shoes, take bigger steps, leave bigger footprints. It is all about the one soul before us. Let us go first and venture onto the common ground 
of a country that does not yet exist, where we don't shake hands, we hug. Love turns around lives. Let's do this together. I love you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.